0: Hey there fellow streakers. Jamie and I are excited to have with us a very special guest. This guest was at the origins of the streaking book and of streaking altogether. He is a Ironman triathlete. He's been in the World Cup in the World Championships two times. He's also competed in Ironmans before that, one in St. George and one in Florida. He also has been a score of other races and other things. He is a periodonist And, Streakers, if you have read the book, you know a little bit more about who this person might be. He's owned Mountaintop Periodonist for 22 years. We are so excited to have him. He's been married for 28 years and has four children. Streakers, let's welcome to the show... Dr. Adam Weaver, and let's start streaking. What is streaking and why should you do it?
1: Streaking is how you set up personal winning streaks. Look at who you want to be and what you need to do to become that person. This is streaking.
0: I'm Jeff. And I'm Jamie. And we are streakers. Through 30 years of marriage and seven children, we have learned the power of consecutive consistency or streaking.
1: To start streaking is simple. You just follow these three laws make it laughably simple, keep a record, and join the streaking
0: community streaking is your hidden superpower with it you will consistently progress and grow in whatever area of life you want
1: in this podcast jeff and i will share all the fun exciting serious solemn wonderful parts of family spiritual professional and personal life and how streaking powers it all
0: so join us in the conversation join the movement and start streaking today dr weaver is all right if i call you adam is that okay Absolutely please do <laughs> It is so good to have you. We are so excited. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, we're looking forward to the conversation that we have today.
2: Wonderful I can't I'm looking forward to it.
0: So where we'd like to start it, I, I think we need a little bit of an introduction as far yeah. as why we're having you on the show and what it was So I met uh, Dr. Weaver and Adam and he uh, was the one that saved my teeth basically. <laughs> and uh, the periodontist, I have very bad periodontal disease or did. And uh, he looked at my mouth and saw gold mine. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He... <laughs> but he did save my teeth. And uh, his dental hygienist was the one that suggested that um, flossing your gums is like exercising. And if you do it a couple of times a day, then your gums and teeth, will, your gums will be healthy. Now, I don't know if you knew that she suggested this, but she suggested this. And I went home and it was like three days after I was getting ready for my our 300th streaking run. So we'd been streaking for 300 days on running or walking at least one mile every day. And we'd
1: been able to keep it for like, yeah, like 300 plus days.
0: Yeah. And we I was talking to myself in the mirror because you know, <laughs> Adam, that... I was I did not floss my teeth. I hated it, in fact, with a capital H A T E. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and and that is like the number one thing you and your hygienist would always say. Look, Jeff, if you don't want another expensive surgery, you gotta at least floss. You can brush, and we you know you do, but you gotta floss. Right. And so I was looking in the mirror and I said to myself, What is your problem? And at that moment I heard your dental hygienist voice say to me, You know, Jeff. You're flossing your teeth is like exercising your gums. And I was dressed in my workout clothes to go on my 300th run. And all of a sudden it hit me. Why don't you just set a streak to floss your teeth? And you'll be happy to know. And I always feel like when I'm talking about flossing, I I need to call you Dr. Weaver because (laughs) I always feel like I'm in the little kid's office. I'm like, I'm sorry, Dr. (laughs) Weaver. (laughs) But you'll be happy to know 2,503 days ago is when that was. Wow.
2: That is so awesome. Isn't that amazing? it is it really is
0: all inspired
2: by you my friend thank you Wow that is so awesome I love it <laughs> so For the question
0: fun. I want to yeah so the question I want to start with is let's let's go back a little bit as far as what led you down the, I mean there's so many interesting facets of your life first of all what led you down the road of periodontist and then we'll talk about your Iron man's because both of those things are really fascinating
2: you bet so I knew um, from the time I was young, actually, that I wanted to be a doctor of some sort. And uh, I made a decision after I served a two-year mission for the uh, for my church. I just I made a decision to go visit different doctors' offices. And long story short, I the doc the dentist had the best life. So you know, not only was he a businessman, but he had kind of me the best life. And I said, well, that's what I want. So I made a decision right away to um, go ahead and, and go towards dental school. And I did, I got into dental school. And then while I was in dental school, I realized um, very early that I enjoyed surgery more than I did traditional uh, dental dentistry. I didn't didn't really like what they call drill, fill, and bill. I uh, <laughs> uh, didn't really love that, uh, but I did love doing surgery. I liked uh, all the surgical abs- aspects. So I kind of dove into the different specialties and found that to me periodontics had the best options as far as different surgeries so then i applied to different periodontal residencies i got into a residency in milwaukee wisconsin and uh, at the at the at marquette university and i ended up going there and uh, it was a three-year program and uh, so from 1997 to 2000 i did my residency and then in 2000 i bought my period i bought my practice i came out and I just bought a practice that was from an existing doctor named Dr. McDonald. And uh, that's where it started.
0: Wow. And periodonics is different in the sense that from just regular dentistry because of, the surg- because of the surgery, I'm sure there's other things as well. And I'm please don't take my ignorant view of it as, <laughs> but get, educate us a little bit more on that. What's the difference between it?
2: Yeah, so perio means around. And so it's everything surrounding the teeth. So the gum and the bone that surround the teeth is my specialty. And so I focus on, you know, the quality and health of the bone and the, and the gum tissue surrounding teeth. And, it, and unfortunately, that requires surgery m- most of the time to, to correct problems that have taken place. Either I'm doing bone grafting or gum grafting uh, things like that to, to correct problems associated with, uh, with that loss, with the loss of bone or gum surrounding teeth. Yeah. What's,
1: wow. what's, wait, as you look back over your, the years of your practice, like what has been the most intense Surgery that you've had to do,
0: like what are the things that you're like? Okay, it's that mine. one. It's mine. No. <laughs> it's I think you're pretty peel, had to peel back the gums, yeah. expose my entire face. No, yeah,
2: that is that is probably my bread and butter surgery. Okay, but I do a lot of that surgery. In fact, I would say I do that more than anything. Uh, the type of surgery that maybe you had done, Jeff. But yeah. Yeah. for the most part, probably the most intense surgeries have to do with what's called sinus augmentations. Mm. Uh, where I, if people are missing a bone in the posterior of their upper jaw, uh, they need to have that portion of their jaw rebuilt to place implants. And so, um, and unfortunately there's a giant hole that we all have just below our eye in this area of our cheek. That's our sinus where our sinus sits. It's just a giant cavity within our, our head. And so what happens is many times I have to go into that sinus and make a, what's called a window and then open that up and lift the sinus floor uh, up and uh, then pack bone into that area wow. so
1: wow so yeah. that's yeah. that is intense
2: is that like a several step
0: surgery or is it just a no. one-time yeah
2: it's usually a one-step deal that we can do and then you have to wait let that bone heal which usually takes six to eight months and then before you can then place implants
1: and so, implant in there wow. well
2: all
0: right. So we need to know, talk to us about the benefits of flossing, because that's that's really what saved my, I mean, you saved my teeth and then flossing was something that was quite significant.
2: Yeah. So I tell, and it's awesome that my hygienist did say that, because that's part of the training for my hygienist is talking about the importance of flossing on a regular basis. And that we, we have a saying that, we, and I'm, I know everybody's heard this, but you only floss the teeth you want to keep. Yeah, uh, well, that's true because i lost the one that i wasn't flossing everything else <laughs> yeah and it's just uh the, so the key is is being able to use floss on a consistent basis to get in the areas where your toothbrush just cannot reach mm. so it's it, yeah it's extremely important once a day at least is very it, is perfect and so if you can get uh do do your flossing once a day It will help you keep your teeth. Absolutely, it will. I'm I'm an overachiever.
1: You're doing it twice. I do it twice in the morning and at night,
2: which is is awesome. There is no problem with doing it twice. We just we would love it if people would just do it at least once. At
1: least once. So it's
0: interesting because when we when when your hygienist said that to me, and after the couple of surgeries that you had um, performed on my teeth, yeah, it it is amazing the difference of the streak of flossing every single day. I mean, oh yeah the, the buildup and everything else, is just not
2: there anymore because of the flossing. Well, people have this misunderstanding about plaque. In fact, every single day, it's kind of funny, the stories that I get is I get new patients that'll come into my office and I'll do their exam. And almost all those patients come from a general dentist that has probably just cleaned their teeth. And in fact, I would say 90% of my patients that are new patients had just within the past month or so been into their dentist and had their teeth cleaned. And so I'll check and I'll say, you know, I'm noticing quite a bit of plaque buildup. And they'll say, that's impossible. I just got my teeth cleaned. That is almost always what I hear. <laughs> and I say, well, and this is my story. I always give them. I say, let's say I cleaned your teeth right now. Okay. In by tonight, you will already have millions of bacteria. Okay. Millions, not just thousands, but millions of bacteria by tonight. Wow. Now. If you then don't brush, let's say you're tired and you decide I'm not going to brush or I'm not going to floss my teeth tonight. By tomorrow morning, you now have billions of bacteria. By tomorrow morning, 24 hours after you've had your teeth cleaned, there's when you get your teeth cleaned, the primary reason to get your teeth cleaned is to actually get tartar, the harder material that's built up on our teeth to get it scraped off your teeth because uh, traditional brushing, brushing and even flossing if unless you're flossing consistently, if you floss consistently, you can keep that tartar from accumulating to great extents. And that's the reason that you floss regularly. If you miss even a day or two with the salivary content that's flowing from our right underneath our tongues, you will start to build up tartar within 24 hours too. And so that's why flossing on a consistent basis will keep that floss from accumulating or keep that tartar from accumulating.
1: So you Are you just that, feeling proud of
2: yourself feeling right so now? I'm happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because what you
0: say, it, it, and it's amazing how that applies to life in the sense of how quickly things can go awry if right. you're not doing it every single day.
2: Right.
1: But how yeah. imperceptible the everyday seems to be in making a difference. That
2: Oh, you, yeah. Like,
1: it doesn't seem like a big deal to It doesn't seem like you have billions of second. billions yeah. of
0: bacteria right. in your mouth. I know, as
1: you were talking, I'm like, don't go floss and br- go, don't go brush your teeth right now, even though I want to. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll go brush my teeth right now and floss again.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is it is extremely interesting. I just, in a way, it kind of, it, I, obviously, it's very frustrating as a dentist because, you know, people have this misconception. They're like, oh, I go get my teeth cleaned you know, twice a year, or even four times a year for some patients that have gum disease, they need four times a year. And yet they have this perception that that somehow is curing them. But it's really the daily routine that will keep them from having surgery or losing teeth. It's that daily, not the quarterly, quarterly helps for sure. But or the ha- once a year, or twice a year will help. But the, it's the daily that actually saves people and saves their teeth.
0: You hear that streakers daily. That means a streak every single day. That's fantastic. Right. So that's what we'll have to set. up. So in the streaking app, we'll have to get your office mountaintop periodontics set up as a group in the streaking app. And then we'll just have a recommended streak of adopt floss at least one time a day or floss at least two times a day as the recommended yeah. streak.
2: Absolutely. That's great. <laughs> I
0: love it. Well, that, that leads us to another, the question that I, you know, um, as as you've been in periodontics and you've done all this, you also have this other passion, which has been an Ironman triathlete. Yeah. Tell us a little bit: how did that start? What got you interested in it? And what does it take to become an Ironman triathlete?
2: So I'll kind of go back a little bit um, because there's a there's a lot of build to you know you don't become an Ironman triathlete like right away. Like you can do an, a triathlon for sure. But to do an Ironman is definitely a different beast, and so there was it, it, there was not there was a build to that. So it goes along with what you're saying with the streaking, because when if you build up certain strengths and or streaks in your life, then being able to do an Ironman becomes possible. So it's other streaks that lead to then wow. the opportunity. And so it all started actually, it goes way back. Um, and it, it actually goes to where you and I saw each other again for a while in the, for the first time in a while at the Boulder, Boulder, at The which Boulder, is, Boulder, really yeah, NK yes. race, uh, that's done every Memorial day in May. And starting in 1987, when I was a, a junior in high school, my dad Uh, said hey this boulder boulder thing down in boulder we lived in fort collins but my dad said you know down in boulder they do this race this 10k you know let's sign up and let's go do it and um we did and it was just a great experience you know we didn't do it to win or you know
0: now had you run before that or your dad been in physical fitness before that yeah just a little bit yeah
2: and in fact my dad i credit a lot of credit goes to my dad my dad from the time i was uh Young, He likes to tell this story. And actually, it just came to my mind. I totally forgot about it until just now. And that is um, in my church, there was a program when I was 12 years old that was only adopted for like a year or two. And it was a physical fitness program where you had to streak where you could you had a it was a poster and you could fill in, I'm sorry for the, I'm getting these little text. Sorry about that. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, there was a, a poster and you would fill it in. And the goal was to do some kind of exercise every day. And so my dad said, let's do this. And so we started this when I was, I think, 11 years old and we would run and it started out where my dad and I would run really close together and it was great. And then we did it every single day and we did the same route every day where people actually in our neighborhood would get to see us. And they, you know, it got to the point where I was better. I was a little bit faster than my dad. And uh, it was funny because my dad likes to tell the story of an old man that would say, You better, I don't know if you'll ever catch him, you know, (laughs) so far up ahead. But so it started then my dad really made it a point that we would needed to be physically active and that it would be helpful in our, in our actual spiritual strength, our temporal strength, just kind of make ourselves stronger. If we were actively, if we were active and then to make it more palatable and easier to want to do it, he would set up different like goals. You know, and he would say, you know, we're going to do this race. And so we prepare for that race as if that was, you know, the reason we were doing our streaking of running is so that we could get to the point where we could actually race in a race. And I was also a wrestler wrestling was I'm a short guy and wrestling was a big uh, deal in my life. And he said, you know, part of being able to keep your weight down and being able to, to be a good wrestler would be to run consistently. So from the time I was about 11 years old, I was very consistent with running primarily. Wow, that's great. And then, yeah. And then my dad found that Boulder Boulder and we did it in 1987. And then again, in 1988, when I graduated from high school, he said, I tell you what, well, your you, graduation it was graduation weekend. And uh, I think I graduated on a Saturday. And then Monday Memorial day was the Boulder Boulder and we went and did the Boulder Boulder. And I still remember it. We finished the Boulder Boulder and we drove to Moab and we went mountain biking for a couple of days. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And it was like, this is great. You know, as a (laughs) a senior in high school, I got to hang out with my dad. um, And then I also, you know, we got to do these active things and see some amazing things and we did the Boulder Boulder together, of course, and all this stuff. So all of it was great. And, um, so we, uh, and that started it and I said, so we did it two years in a row and then I was going to go off to college and I did, I went off to college. Now, had you
0: heard about triathlons at this point in time or not yet?
2: No, I had not gone in the, but I then did it, the Boulder Boulder again, 1989, uh, one month before I left for a two-year mission. So then I missed doing the Boulder Boulder for two years. And where did you serve your mission? I served in Paraguay, in South in America and Paraguay. Paraguay. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. And then when I got back from my mission, started again, and we did the Boulder Boulder then every single year. Well, then my dad kind of put it in my mind, and I, I was a big proponent of it, of doing some kind of physical activity uh, or big goal each year. And so the boulder, boulder was just kind of then became part of that. That and part of it was that in the boulder, boulder. And anybody that's done it knows that there's waves, and yeah. there's qualification waves. And so I set a goal that I was going to get to the A wave. Wow. So to be in the A wave, you're running, you know, fast, very. What is fast. it? What
0: is isn't A wave like? A five? Is it is it a sub yeah. five or is it a five?
2: No, it's like five. So you're running five, you know, I think you can get in with like a 530 even. A 530 mile? 530 mile, yeah. Okay. And so you had to kind of get to that point and then you could be in the A wave, the elite (laughs) A wave, you know? And you kind of feel cool, of course. You know, you get to walk past everybody and you've got that A on your bib and everybody knows that the only way you're there is if you've qualified for it. So that was a big goal for me. And I did that. I worked my way up till I was in the A wave and then, um, and kept running it. So, but anyways, so then I got, I got married and a lot of th- different things happened in my life. And by the time I got married, I said, you know what, I'm going to, I want to do something different with this. And it was in 2000 that I then set a goal, uh, to do, uh, it was the first triathlon I did was the Loveland Lake to Lake, uh, triathlon. So it's up near, it's in Loveland, Colorado. Yeah. and it's this they call it lake to lake because part of the you start at the swim at the lo, at this loveland lake and then you ride your bike up to uh horsetooth lake and around there and then back down into loveland before you circle loveland lake with a run and i that was my first triathlon so i did that and i was hooked i was loved 100- it that was up, it right up. there now had um, you
0: swam? had you do, had you done much swimming before no. this time no no
2: so that was part of it i had to then get into a streak Of learning how to swim and then swimming daily. And uh, I got into this whole swimming. I was not a good swimmer by any (laughs) means, but I started it and, you know, and, and with consistency, I got better and was able to do it. And I, I didn't shatter any records when I did that first race at all, but I loved it. I just loved how physically fit I was. I liked um, the people, the people that I was around were all fit. It just, it was a good environment. I loved it. I just was hooked. And from that time on, then I started making different goals within triathlon till I got to the point where I felt like, you know what, now I'm going to try to get into the Ironman. And it was a, it was an eight year process to get into the Ironman. My first Ironman. So, uh, was in 2008. And I competed in multiple triathlons, multiple, before I got to uh, wow. To and I did the, it was actually 2006, I believe, that I did. I think it was 2006. And I did the Ironman Florida. Actually, it was six years. So I did Ironman Florida. That was my first one I did. And I Now, did just not- for
0: everyone who doesn't, isn't familiar with an Ironman, give us the specifications for an actual Ironman as far as what you have to be able to do.
2: Yeah, so it's a 2.4-mile swim. And then a hundred and twelve mile bike, and then a marathon, a twenty six point two mile run. Oh
1: my yeah.
0: goodness!
1: It's just yeah. amazing. <laughs> I mean,
2: yeah. you know what? Eight
0: years to prepare for that. I can see why now. I mean, to have all yeah. three of those things, and and what what's the typical? And I, there's not a typical time, but how much time yeah, does, that, does take that take to go from start to finish?
2: So, yeah, there's, I mean, it varies. And first of all, let me just say that I think anybody that does an Ironman is great. And so there's not a time that I would say is a bad time, really, because just getting out there and finishing it finishing is amazing. Yeah. So I, I really do believe that but you're considered kind of a top tier athlete if you're at 9 hours or below it, it would be kind of where where you need okay. to be okay so 9, nine hours. hours wow yeah. <laughs> so
1: when you first started have you seen are there more people that are doing it as you as you've been doing it over the years has it picked up in interest of people doing it or is it a, is it a sport that there's still not a ton of people that are doing cuz that's a huge amount of stamina that you have to do to To complete an Ironman.
2: No, it's become very big. So yeah, in fact, it's become so competitive that it's, it's very difficult even to get sometimes even a race entry into some of the minor races.
1: Oh, really? Okay. So now it's even harder to get into the smaller races because more and more people are doing it.
2: Oh yeah. It's very, very popular.
0: That's so what amazing. is what is training? What does a training day look like, or training week actually look like when you're prepping for an Ironman? So once you've got up to the level of being able to do the swim, do the bike, do the run, now you've got to train for that. So you have to, because you have to qualify for the World Championships, right.
2: is, is what you said. And uh, and what does a training week look like? So it varies for sure, and you have to go. First of all, it is consistency. You have to be extremely consistent. Uh, no matter what you're, you're doing something each day, but you don't do all three disciplines every day. So typically, I mean, there are occasions where you definitely do, but for the most part, what you'll do is you'll do. Um, and I, I built into my training, what I call a lot of bricks, bricks are bike runs where you bike for a certain amount of time, and then you'll run for a certain time amount of time. And a lot of times I would be heavy on my bike rides and then be lighter on my run. And then t- other times I'd be very light on my bike rides and do heavy runs. And, um, but a typical week was about 20 hours of training in a week. So that's okay. pretty wow. typical. Part-time job. Yeah. yeah. Part-time job. And I didn't work out on Sundays. And so I would balance about 20 hours of training with over six days, uh, six days of the week. So you're all you're running your practice. I mean, that's... all I was running my practice. Yeah.
0: So you're
1: training three to four hours a day. Correct. Okay.
2: Almost oh. every single day, and uh, in fact, I did pretty much every day. Every day, yeah. <laughs> yeah I <was> say, <laughs> not, there's no. There, there's no kind no of skipping. You were doing it to get that happening, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. But it, it it does become almost like an addiction um, because you do. And I find this with a lot of things in my life where I'll do it so consistently that then if I miss, I, or if I don't do something, I feel guilty or, you know, it's like, wow, Look, what have, I
1: got to go do this.
2: Yeah. And so, um, that drove me a lot to do it. But I think the thing that made Ironman training better than like running, for example, just running was the fact that, that you have different things you could go for a swim. Like if I don't feel far like a run, okay, today I'm going to swim longer. Or
0: mm-hmm. I'm going to
2: ride my bike longer. And I built into my training, even some mountain biking. I did a lot of mountain biking on top or, uh, because I was tired of being on the road. And so I would start to to mountain bike and try to do different things to kind of vary a little bit, even within the variable that of the, the sports. Yeah.
1: Would you train in a swimming pool or open lakes mostly?
2: Both. So you have both. to do a little bit of both. Yeah. Okay. I would, most of my training for sure in a pool, okay. but then, um, once to twice a week, I would go and do open water swimming. Wow.
1: That's amazing.
0: All right. So tell us about qualifying for the world championship. What, what was, what was that race and what did it feel like when you knew you had qualified?
2: Yeah. So the first time that I qualified, I actually qualified at the Hawaii 70.3, 70.3 is half the distance of the, what you hear the 140.6, which is 140.6 is the total mileage of an Ironman. So there was a Hawaii 70.3, uh, that was held on half of the, the world championship course in, in Hawaii. And I did that in May. Uh, it was May of 2008 that I did that. And I ended up, uh, doing, you have to place basically in your top, top one or two, uh, in, in your age group to then qualify at that race. Some of the other Ironman qualif- qualifiers, you have a little few, uh, you have fewer, you have, I'm sorry, more qualification. Um, yeah, there's more people that qualify, but in the 70.3 it was just one or two. And, okay. Yeah. okay I yeah. see. So yeah. if you're not
0: doing the full thing, you've got to be the best, you've got to be at, the the best
2: at the half. Got okay. it. So I had really dialed it in that year. I had uh, got a coach, thanks to my wife. My wife was awesome and it was the,
0: it was the Christmas gift, right? I mean, was,
2: <laughs> yeah. So I got a Christmas gift, and it was uh, the the December of 2007. My wife gave me the Christmas gift of get of hiring a coach, and the and then the entry into the Hawaii 70.3.
1: How did so- you go about finding your coach?
2: So, um, it, I, it was, as I had raced over all these years, I had seen certain athletes that were, I thought phenomenal and, uh, pe- most of them in my age group. So I'd see these people that were competing within my own age group and they'd beat me or, you know, and I'd, I'd be like, oh, you know, and so, <laughs> you know, like you say, if you can't beat them, join them. Right. And so I right. talk to these athletes and I'd be like, you know, how did you what did you do? And they'd say, well, I hired this coach anyways. And I, I, i found a guy, my, my biggest thing was I wanted somebody that had kind of been there. And so I hired a coach actually out of Montana. His name was Jay Marshall. His name is Jay Marshall. And Jay, um, had been, uh, he had made all the trans. He'd kind of done the same thing I did, except for that he'd gone to the point where he turned pro. He was a pro. He turned a pro triathlete and had been very competitive. And he was kind of an ornery guy, uh, (laughs) not very, he never sugarcoated anything. And that was kind of the guy that I I knew that's kind of the personality that I needed uh, because he would tell me exactly how he felt about what I was doing. What you were doing. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So he, I hired him on and, and he got, he, 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 it was amazing. He he totally turned me around. I was a good athlete for sure. And then I turned into definitely a much better athlete. So what was it
0: that, what was it that he helped you to be a much better athlete? Was it diet? Was it exercise? Was it regimen? What was it that kind of moved you to that next level?
2: Yeah. So he was a big believer in what's called lactic threshold. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, that's the point at which your body starts building too much lactic acid. And so he would do these tests where he would draw my blood while I was working out. Usually it was on a treadmill or on my trainer in the basement. And he would come in and he would yeah, build me up. And then, anyways, he did this test, did test what's called lactic threshold. And basically, what it was is he would find that point that you could go and kind of go all day riding or running. Uh, so that you didn't build up so much lactic acid that you would then, you know, bunk or, or fall off. Wow. And so he had me dialed in where I knew exactly, you know, how fast I could run uh, and how much power I could use on my bike before I would then die off. And so literally it was all scientific while I was riding my bike instead of looking how fast I was going or even paying attention to other athletes around me, I was literally focused on my power. And if I, if I let my power go up too high, I knew I was going to bonk. And so I didn't do it. I just stayed right in that zone and I never went above it. And if I, he, he basically told me that he says, if you don't go above this number, then you will be fine. You will race and you'll do great and your times will be amazing. And I just believed it, and I did it, and it worked like a charm. Is that fascinating?
1: Yeah, that's totally fascinating because I look at it and I think how amazing to be able to find what your body can do. But then even more amazing to be able to have the confidence that you're like, I know exactly what I need to do. I'm not going to do more. I'm not going to do less. I'm going to do this. I mean, that takes
0: some discipline right there, especially when people are either passing you or you're passing people.
2: Yeah. And not trusting how you
1: feel, but trusting that number where you're like, this is the oh, plan yeah. and I'm following it.
2: And the hardest part with Ironman is it's so mental because it's such a long race. Yeah, And so what I found was that at 50 miles, for example, into the bike, where you're just not even to the halfway mark, even yet it's mental. You're going, oh my goodness, I'm at 50 miles. I, I'm, I still have, you know, what is that? Sixty-two points Sixty-two point miles. Yes. miles left of writing, and I've got these people passing me, and I feel fit. Usually, you're feeling okay, so I'm feeling fit. People are passing me, and I'm focused on this number. It's literally, I'm just looking at this number, and I'm just going, "Is this gonna work?" You know, and so it was very hard, especially when you're competing because you do want to just push it. You know and you feel like oh these guys that just passed me i could totally hang with them yeah i could but i knew that if i hung with them then i was going to pay for it later for yeah. sure. right.
0: so so can you just can you through training can you move your lactic zone to to a better number is that is that kind of the idea as you're moving yeah. your lactic zone or whatever it's called
2: yep so in january of 2008 for example he did my first lactic uh threshold test And then he said, we're going to check you again in six weeks. We're going to do this training and we're going to do it in six weeks. And it had gotten better and I'd gotten more speed. And then we tested again. He set a new point and he said, okay, here's where you're at. And we did that every six weeks. And then he, we got to the beginning of May, um, you know, basically the month before where he said, this is where we're going to set your lactic threshold and this is your power and this is your run and you're going to stay with that. And then and then he tapered me into the Ironman 70.3 and it worked perfect. Did it just
0: worked beautifully. I mean, so
2: you perfect. stuck with that number. You that were just perfect. absolutely dog on a bone on that number. Oh yeah. Did not. I didn't, I didn't move at all. I stuck right with it and it worked like a charm. So no you, reason, you don't see it till the run. So like on the bike, I came off decent, but I think I was in like 10th place in my age group going, coming off the bike. And I was like, oh man, I'm never gonna get a spot. And, uh, you know, and, but then I got on the run and my legs felt fresh and I started picking people off basically as I was going through the run.
0: Really? So you yeah. stayed in your number. That was so Jamie and I did um, the Hood to Coast. Uh, yeah. The, yeah, we did the Hood to Coast, the 200 miler as a team and that was one thing roadkill was was huge (laughs) as you're going along in the later part of the run you know we're picking off because we'd mark it on the van as far as how many people we'd pick off at the at the last part of the run and i'll tell you everyone that went out fast you start picking them off significantly at the end
2: yep wow
0: there is
1: something amazing about knowing your own plan yeah and then and then sticking to it in the face of all opposition whether that opposition is other people competing that you, that you feel like I can take them or just believing the mental belief in yourself. So that is super me. How did you handle times where you, you must've had runs that, or bikes or swims just times in your training that you're like, why am I doing this?
2: Like, how did
1: you keep going during those times when you really started to think, what am I doing here?
2: So I'll be honest. Uh, you have to think of different things that, um, that will motivate you because it is not easy. And there are times where it's literally a grind and you're like, why, why would I do this? Um, and I, it gets a little personal, but I have two brothers that have passed away. Uh, my oldest, I'm the oldest of six kids in my family. Um, and then I have a sister and then I have a brother named Tyson and Tyson was born with a disease called batten disease. And it's a, it's an autosomal recessive genetic disorder. So my mom and dad are both carriers of this gene wow. and, uh, they had died. Uh, so both, both Tyson died. And then, uh, then after Tyson, I have a brother named Derek. And then after him, I have a brother, another brother named Timmy and both Tyson and Timmy, the TNT bros, we call them the <laughs> TNT bros, uh, both had this terrible disease and they died. And, and to be how, honest, how long?
0: How, what's their survival? How long do they live for?
2: Yeah, so it, it both lived to just below thirty. So my yeah. the older of the two, Tyson, was almost thirty. He was just going to turn thirty when he passed away, okay. and then uh, the other one uh, died just before thirty as well. And, and
0: is it is it a nervous system or is it a what's what's the? Yeah. Disorder? So what it is
2: is it's actually a, your body builds up these lipids or fatty cells that will attack. And the first thing it attacks is the optic nerve of the eyes and it oh, so you go blind. You go blind. So blind. that's actually the first symptom. And at the age of about five or six, they both lost their eyesight and uh, live for a while just blind. But then it, unfortunately, that those fatty cells, those lipids build up in the brain and literally destroy the brain. So they go from a completely normal, healthy, functioning child to then blind. To then not even being able to walk or, or eat or talk uh, on their own to the point where they're they unfortunately pass Oh, wow, That was probably
0: that's that's pretty massive in your family. I yeah, mean, I'm sure all of you huge. are impacted. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We I believe we've all become stronger for it. And yeah. well, in uh, your
0: faith, it had to, it had
2: to, I mean, it either oh, yeah.
0: diminishes your faith or increases your faith. It's one right. or the other.
2: You bet. Yeah. And so that was a, what I found training and doing the Ironman was I'm like, nothing I'm doing is harder than what my brothers went through. There's nothing I'm doing that's harder than that. And to me, I felt it almost like as a, that was my motivation where I was going to do something to kind of push my body and my self beyond what I, I, to try to even be close to what I feel like my brothers did. Wow. And so that was a huge motivation. I literally would draw on that all the time. I would think about, you know, uh, them as well as my parents. And I'd be like, you know, wh- what are my parents going through that? This is way easier than anything. My parents, I'm choosing to do this. I'm choosing to, to compete. Uh, but my parents have not, they didn't choose this path. My brothers didn't to- choose this path, but yet they're forced upon a tough path.
1: Right. And so
2: I feel like I can do this. And, and that was kind of what the driving factor was. So when <clears throat> so that that motivation and oftentimes in, in, in
0: many different um, psychological studies and books and so forth, serving outside yourself is a significant motivation. And in fact, it's almost required if you really do want to go beyond what your normal limits are to be able to serve outside yourself, which is what it sounded like with the TNT brothers. That's what it yeah. sounded like you were
2: serving them. That's right. That's exactly right. So that was it. And then, of course, I have my own family, my wife and my kids. And I would, you know, I don't know, I would be wrong in saying that I was doing it for them because it definitely me doing an Ironman doesn't benefit my family, doesn't you know, doesn't help them. I don't think in any way other than maybe that they see that I'm doing something that I,
0: I would, I would say, I think it, I think it's, I, I mean, I know that the training itself is just you mainly because there's not probably yeah. your family with you and maybe your sons would go with you every once in a while or something like sure. that. But what I see is the inspiration that, that my father gave to me and that you then give to your children in regards to having the discipline. I think that's rather significant.
1: Discipline and I can do hard things. Yeah. Really hard, hard. things. I don't yeah. know if any
0: of your, any of your children have followed in your footsteps and done an Ironman or anything yet.
2: Well, yes, actually. And so my oldest son, uh, who actually, uh, live him and his wife live in Dallas, Texas now, but he, um, competed, he was, He's a professional triathlete. He's a much better triathlete than I ever was. So I would say you served your yeah, family quite well. Too. <laughs> at that point Teaching. I
1: mean, if nothing else, teaching what's possible, and then yeah. thinking, oh, I can do that too. That, that I mean, I'm amazing. inspired.
0: I want to. I mean, I already did my run this morning, but I'm inspired to go back out and run again. After yeah, the floss.
2: The floss, uh, and floss. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, it's, uh, I definitely would use my family and I, as a, as a motivational tool. And I think they love the fact, like we did definitely take trips to different locations and include obviously Hawaii, which is the, where the world championship was held my family still to this day. I mean, the last one, the last Ironman world championship I did, by the way, is 2010 and, um, when i did that one i promised my wife i was done doing iron man by the way you
0: you that was it you're like this is the last one
2: yeah because it does take a toll i'll be honest i mean i still have a i do the same thing i'm a strong believer in what you say jeff and that it that is consistency i worked out this morning i've already done my run too and i still run i still bike i don't swim as much cuz my shoulder i have a bad shoulder right now but Um, I still try to do something daily as far as physical exercise. And I still work towards different goals. Um, They're not as big. Like I'm not, like I say, I'm not doing the Ironman. Um, But you you do have to kind of find a balance in your life because you can do something to excess. So even though the streak is good, you could then almost debilitate things. And what I found is that, and actually a, a big story of mine, that I like to tell my kids when they ask me why I don't do Ironman or anything like that right now is that I they there was one time so I used to take my bike and while my kids would play lacrosse uh, and I would sit on the sideline of their lacrosse game with my bike and a trainer and I would ride my bike the entire time that they were playing lacrosse now my thought was I'm being a great dad I'm here watching my kid um, and I'm doing, you know, I'm multitasking. I'm also riding my bike, so I'm getting my physical exercise and I'm watching my son. Well, a year or so after I'd finished doing like my Ironman, I was at my son's lacrosse game. And he said to me, dad, this was awesome. Today was awesome. And I'm like, well, I've come to all your lacrosse games. And he goes, yeah, but this time, dad, you weren't riding your bike. And I go, well, what's, I don't How did that make it. a
1: difference? Yeah. yeah.
2: And he says, dad, my friends on the lacrosse team used to make fun of the guy riding his bike on the side <laughs> of the lacrosse field. And I was embarrassed that that's my dad because they'd be like, who is that guy? You know, who does he think he is? And here I was thinking that, well, I'm multitasking. And I didn't even realize that my son was getting kind of made fun of, uh, because of his dad. And so he kind of made it clear that I was kind of the nerdy dad. I wasn't a cool dad. I was the nerd dad. So that That's was, the worst. You're like, wait a second. I, I was admitted, the cool dad. Are you
1: sure? Something got mixed up there.
2: I know. So here I am. I'm thinking I'm a great dad. And yet my son has a different perspective and what i realized uh very early on is uh, well not early on i wish i would have realized it early on but what i realized later and since is that there's benefits for sure of doing things like the iron man and to say that i did it i'm very i'm very happy i did and i think we did a lot that was good but doing something that like like that is also a very selfish thing you're You're very much doing things on your own. You're training on your own 20 hours a week. That's 20 hours of your self time. And then um, you're competing. And so you're doing all of these things. And to be honest, it's pretty selfish too. Mm -hmm. Now there's nothing wrong, I don't think. Like I wouldn't say it's wrong to do those things, but I definitely think that there's a balance. And I, Mm -hmm. I realized it mostly because of my wife. I could see the toll it was taking. While I'm out for these long rides, you know, there were days where the kids were having real struggles, and I'm riding my bike. You know, and I'm not realizing what my wife's going through at home, so that I can be riding my bike for five hours, you know, or yeah, whatever. Right. And so there's always there's goods and bads with everything. So being able to find the balance, and, and I think I've done that more lately is the in my life is that I still work out daily. I feel like it's very, very important, but I'm not to the quantity that I once was because I know the effects that that can have on my family.
0: You know, they say that okay. marriage is a marathon. Yours is a triathlon. That's yes. <laughs> yes. Sure. sure. So, so just to, just as we finish up here, thank you. So this has been so invigorating and you're such an inspirational individual. And thank you also for sharing your personal insights mm-hmm. and understanding and, and, and what that means to our streaking audience. I mean, the the streaky audience is worldwide, and every we hear all the time from different people about guests that we have on, and it's it's really neat to hear your story. Just tell us a, a, as in conclusion, as we finish up here, yeah. what is it like to cross the finish line of the world championship? I mean, what just I know none of, most of the people never will never, ever that. experience <laughs> that. And
2: I don't know if you can put it into words, but what is it like? It is seriously awesome. I mean, I, the, the there is nothing like it. I mean, everybody that, I'm sure everybody's heard probably that when you cross, the announcer says, you know, they'll say your name. Adam Weaver, you are an Iron Man. And it's just this, you know, it's just, it's. I've I got them. chills just by yeah. you saying that. that Adam
0: is. Weaver, you are
2: an Iron Man. I mean, it just <laughs> makes you feel awesome. It does. And so there's this feeling That's just like, wow, you know, it's, it's absolutely amazing whether, you know, it takes you eight hours or it's taken you 12 hours. It's, you know, it doesn't matter when you cross that line. It is amazing. It is a personal accomplishment that is definitely something I'll never forget. I mean, it's just, it, it is an amazing, uh, you know, and then to have your family, I mean, it's amazing because you get emotional. Like I, I got very emotional afterwards. I'd start crying and, and you're, you know, my kids, I remember they were little and they'd be like, dad, why are you crying? And it's just this feeling of, wow, you know, all of this has culminated to this, where you get to cross the finish line, but then to have your family there, you know, and kind of oh, embrace man. you its just a, it, it, it's amazing. The, the crossing of the finish line is amazing, but that being there with your family, to me, it was just the, that's the icing. Having
1: someone to share yeah. all of that with yeah. and, and be a part of it. That is yeah. amazing.
2: Yeah. Wow. So. Well,
0: Streakers, we've been on with uh, Dr. Adam Weaver, Mr. Phenomenal. He uh, saved my teeth. He can save yours. If you have periodontal disease, um, if you would like to get more information, can they reach out to you? Can our audience reach out to you and ask questions and where would they do that?
2: Yeah. So probably the best way to reach me is to email me. I think that's probably the best way. The best, and my email address is dradam3 at comcast.net. And that's D R A D A M 3 at comcast.net. That's probably the best way to reach me for sure. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to, I'll answer anybody that were, were to email me. That'd that's be great. Fun. Do you coach
0: anyone as far as I have you thought about coaching anyone? Well, your son maybe, but have you coached yeah. others?
2: So I did coach for a little bit after I finished. I uh, in 2010 I coached for a couple of years uh, for a couple of athletes, and I've done a little bit of coaching even uh, fairly recently. But no, for the most part, I've decided not to coach anymore at all. And yeah. uh, my even my son, my son uh, who is a professional track ran at the for the BYU national championship cross country team. Wow. He's, uh, he just qualified for the Olympic trials in the marathon, uh, with a phenomenal race he did in Minnesota. And you no, know, he's, he, it doesn't need my coaching at all. I mean, he's, but he does get his own coaching and he coaches people as well. And he's, he's a much better athlete than I ever was, but.
0: Well, I think you inspired him, definitely. You've inspired us and you've inspired our audience. So thank you very much. Streakers, if you'd like to reach out to Jamie or I ask us questions, you can do so at Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y at streakingmastery.com or
1: Jamie at J-A-M-I at streakingmastery.com. If
0: you'd like to learn how to start streaking and set up the floor of your streaks to one day be an Ironman triathlete, you can order the book from Amazon, Barnes & Noble or anywhere books are sold. That's streaking, S-T-R-E-A-K-I-N-G or you can Download the app, which it's the streaking app. It's the social media platform for self-improvement. You can see all kinds of people's streaks and what they say about them. Again, it's the streaking app at Google Play or the Apple App Store. Until we so talk again...
1: Keep streaking. A better you.